What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome to This Podcast is Delicious, and this is part two of our interview with Bob Bloomer, and uh, it was it was an awesome part one, and we bring you an awesome part two is what I have to yeah, say. And also, we, let's, let's encourage people to go back and listen to part one if they haven't. I will say... Do you need part one to understand part two? No, but it, it's as I've often said, it's like the Lethal Weapon uh, movies, right? You don't need number one to understand a little bit, but it gives you some context of, about why Danny Glover is sitting on a toilet yes. for the first third of the movie. And you want to know why someone's on a toilet. So, um, but, but not only that, Bob is such an inspirational guy and uh, such an incredible varied life he's already led and doesn't seem like he's going to be slowing down. It's great. It's inspirational. It's educational. Um, give it a listen before you get into uh, part two. Yeah, and part one is my favorite part because he schools you in in that in that first part, and I'm sure part two is your favorite part, Ali. Oh yeah, oh yeah, get ready for it, folks. A broken Marco is uh, is forthcoming. All right. Well, we start this episode by asking Bob about his artistic side and where it came from and what helped nurture it. When I was a kid, my mother sent me to. Uh, extracurricular art classes uh, every year. And so one year I would do a pottery class after school, the next year a batik class. I had this amazing uh, teacher on the West Island of Montreal where I grew up. Her name was Renata Heidersdorf and her class was like, we'd be doing stained glass one week and building plaster and things the next. And like over the course of my youth, I worked in a lot of different mediums uh, which we didn't refer to as a lot of different mediums. I just was playing and making a lot of art. Mm-hmm. But now I do, um, uh, I'm very comfortable building things and just creating things out of found objects. And so this is an, a very interesting thing here. Relieved of your, of, of any obligation to be creative with food, right? Tomato, iceberg lettuce, white bread and butter. You, had, you didn't have to put any effort into that. You were able to focus all your creative art in in these amazing classes. And then it eventually... Yeah, but, but you see, I see I see ingredients, as I was referring to this early earlier, as a medium, just like paints are a medium or the, things you're using, you know, clay is a medium. So that's, that's why I can combine ingredients. I'm as comfortable playing, in a, you know, in a kitchen with ingredients and making art I'm using air quotes here, which you can't see me, Mm -hmm. uh, making art out of those ingredients the same way I can take, um, well, for example, if you, uh, if you look behind me, I'll give you an example. Um, and I'll carry it over here so that you guys can see what I'm talking about. Um, this is a sculpture that I did, uh, for a Biennale in Newfoundland. And, uh, it is, uh, it's a moose head that I, I bought online. Sorry, light's kind of funky here. Anyways, uh, it's a moose head that I bought online, a life-size moose head. And, uh, and then I bought these uh, uh, rubber lobster claws, sort of life-size or oversized lobster claws. Huh. But through this whole process of filling the lobster claws with uh, um, styrofoam that hardened and then painting them and then using some uh, epoxy clay, which is essentially like clay, but it hardens uh, like epoxy. 
uh, and then painting over it, I was able to create this sculptural piece that's a moose head, but instead of having antlers, it has two lobster claws in the place of the antlers. And so that's an object d'art, and that's sort of to, to me, and it comes back to food because it's a moose and lobster. And mm. so uh, I, you know, I, I, and I play around with these things all the time. I love it. You know, uh, it's it's interesting because we'll we'll put a picture of that on our social media uh, so people can see that exactly what you described there with the moose. Bob, you have this ability to bring things like your artwork, like your your you know your medium in food, in a very approachable way for anyone who's coming to it, and with a bit of a sense of humor, uh, which I think is really relatable. I mean, I mean that that moose that has lobster claws as antlers, it's it's an awesome piece of work, and it's also it's also got humor to it. Well, uh, thank you. Um, uh, you know, my my art heroes when I was growing up, they've changed since then, but were uh, Salvador Dali and Rene Magritte, two of the uh, best known surrealists. And surreal art is described as natural objects, so things you're accustomed to seeing, but in unnatural juxtaposition. So... Um, Magritte was famous for having, uh, say, a man in a bowler hat, but he's floating in the sky. So you're accustomed to seeing a sky, you're accustomed to seeing a man in a bowler hat, but not in that combination. Uh, Dali was known for, you know, melting watches. So you'd see a watch, but it's sort of melting from the heat. So um, that that style of art has a lot of whimsy and and it is you know that's why that's why those images are used in advertising uh, today sure um and similar types of images because they uh they're art but they also just have they make people smile yeah and it's you know it's not deep it's not necessarily deep it's it's uh it's a good laugh and it hopefully looks good and then you move on to whatever else you're you know, well, that's on. what I mean. There's not this pompousness to what you bring to the table or what you bring to your readers or what you bring to your viewers. You really connect with them in a, in a way that like like even your book, uh, Flavor Bomb, like you you share tips, you share hacks. A lot of people keep those those tips of those hacks close to their chest. And you're sharing these these things with the viewers, even on your Instagram. Like I, I was on earlier today and I learned a few things, too, just watching your videos there. And I'm like, this guy's generous, you know, artist breaks Guinness World Records cookbooks, television shows. Yeah, whatever. But you know, you get to a point in your, whatever about those, but you get sure. to a point in your, your life where like, what do you want to do? You want to share what you've learned. I mean, that's the greatest thing about getting older is that you've accumulated some experience and some wisdom. And the greatest gift that you can do with that is share it with anybody who m might benefit from the things that, you know, you spent a lot of time learning and and you know maybe even took some hits trying trying to figure them out you know and and now you've got to this place where you figured it out and let's save everybody else the trouble let let them benefit from the the mistakes that we made and yeah, yeah. what it took to get us here okay so then share your wisdom with us and settle this debate this bet that Ali and I have okay right. so this is this is a through line on our podcast on pizza Pitted olives or olives with the pit still in them? Oh, that one's a very easy, uh, that's an easy one for me. Okay. Pitted. Oh, 
Okay. You take that. That was, that was the you sound of my that. heart breaking. That. that was the sound you of my heart. Shove that in your pipe and you smoke it all day long, Marco. Did okay? you hear that? Did you hear that moment where my heart broke? You, you did went, you? Uh, <laughs> you uh. Yeah, we heard it. Everybody heard it. I wish people could have seen it. I wish I was taping that. Uh, he did break. He actually yeah. broke as a human being uh, for the sole reason that that you almost sometimes forget what you're biting into is your, you know, your other hand is holding a glass of wine and you're talking to your friends. And unless you're a dentist, I think that, um, <laughs> well, so this, the real debate, do you want to share the reason? Wait, hang well, on. So what is your thesis for why pitted? Uh, well, this pitted, is the thing. The okay, debate, this is where Marco, we're going. The this debate is, is okay. not about pitted. Yes or no. It is the, the debate is, should there be a warning? Should what there warning? be a warning? What warning? See, what he goes, warning? What, no. He goes very Italian and he goes, what warning? Okay. Do, you think, feel that the, do you feel that olives with pits in them taste better? Yes. Yes. Okay. What if I took, what if I took the pit out of the olive just before I put it on the pizza? No. Would it still taste better? <laughs> would, the, would the olive with but, the pit in it okay, taste it, better in a blind tasting beside the one I had just removed the pit from? Because this is a little bit of the... Uh, if you cook meat on the bone, the meat tastes better. But I don't believe that if you remove the pit from the olive moments before serving it, that the olive will taste any. You see, I can see. Listen, listen. <laughs> Ali, stop with these mind games. You're, 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 you broke eyes. my so heart. Terrible. You broke my heart. You're breaking <laughs> you my mind, twice. Bob. Yeah. You're like, yeah. like, like, like. Now I'm busting your balls. I can't process <laughs> that. I can't process if I pit the olive just before I serve it. Is it still taste the same? Because. You, you fundamentally broke me right now on our podcast. Is what <laughs> I'm <you're>... sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love what's happened here. This is my favorite moment. I loved it so much. Um, tell me about this, Bob. I, you know, it's interesting. You were talking about sharing, share, you know, and we, we talk about that and, and we, Marco and I both have that sort of desire to sort of mentor in some way, mentoring being something that saves somebody that precious time to not have to go through all the crap we went through. Am I right to say this, like, that you try to share in a way that makes it look like you're not um, sharing or teaching? Is that intentional? I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, like, that video you have of you going against a buddy of yours. He's opening a can of SpaghettiOs or Chef Boyardee, and he's going to warm it up. And you're like, let me try to make fresh pasta in the time that it takes you to open up and heat a can of this stuff. For me... That is teaching people this is how easy it is to make fresh pasta. But once you put it in this fun, lighthearted, um, uh, you know, uh, competition format, for lack of a better word, it doesn't feel like you are teaching people. Is that a goal? Is that intentional? Um, I don't think that was my goal. I think my goal was to use the – well, my goal is to drive the point home. And I think that if I stand on a stage and say, you can make this really quickly and it's, it's really easy, really fast, it, that's not necessarily going to land with the same amount of, uh, it's not as convincing as when I have someone beside me heating up a can of SpaghettiOs, but I can make the whole pasta from scratch before they can bring the spaghettios to a boiling point. So I think for me, that's about creating a scenario that drives home the teaching point that I'm trying to make. Mm. And uh, 
it's like staging something to to make my point as clear as I can make it in a fun in a way that's fun and doesn't seem like I'm trying to school anybody. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like when you another perfect example of that is when you whip uh, egg whites into a into what are known as stiff oh, peaks. Yeah. And uh, and then to to make the point in, instead of taking your whisk and putting it into the egg whites and showing how it should uh, you know how they should rise up, you take the the bowl and you hold it over your head for a count of three, mm-hmm. which proves the same point, but is way more entertaining. Sure. sure. So I, I'd say I'd say the answer to your question is I probably lean more towards showbiz than towards just trying to uh, to share things in a way that doesn't seem complicated sure i and and just looking at how high your hair is today bob i'm thinking about how high higher you'd have to hold up those uh those stiff upside down peaks and immediately it is a, a very engaging compelling um uh, you know thing in my mind even though it has well there's much more risk involved than if either of you two held true. Us and- <laughs> true exactly. it's an easy wipe away <laughs> for us for us we're almost hoping that it falls in because i hear the eggs are good for the scalp i'm like yeah good yeah you think you think you i know, look stupid I, with I, egg I, on my face i wanted this I, I went to my accountants for my annual tax meeting yesterday mm-hmm. and uh We'll just get real here for a second. Like mm. the last couple of years, for for all of us in the creative world, for most of us in the creative world, have been very difficult because we were accustomed to playing to audiences and doing appearances, and that's how we get paid a lot, right? So, I, the last two years have been um, what I think of as you know, there's death by a thousand cuts. So I think it's I've experienced success or at least getting through things by a thousand little things, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just like, I've just cobbled together the last couple of years, but I went to my accountant and who's looking at these numbers and like aghast that <laughs> I barely, you know, barely made it through the last couple of years. And I thought, yeah, but last year I was in a movie. Uh, my book actually won a couple of lovely awards. Uh, I was a writer in residence at the Stratford Culinary School for two two weeks, and I have more hair than everybody. So, <laughs> it's like, who cares if I didn't make any money? You will always be able to bring that up in any situation. Uh, I do like that. Death by a thousand cuts. The flip side is um, life with a thousand things created right like every every meal that you feel good about every piece of art every piece of work uh um sometimes it's just you know sort of you know taking a a child to their soccer game or being present in a way that you aren't always able to be that's a very it's like it's survival so death by a thousand cuts survival by a thousand little successes right Right. Yeah. 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 That, not and that's and sure. yeah, but th- but that's what it was. That's what the last couple of years have been for me. It's a good mm-hmm. philosophy for for difficult times, like certainly what we faced in the last couple of years. For sure. Listen, if we are in the fortunate world of if if we're lucky enough to have you know been able to skate through it and had enough savings to at least just get through it right. with our lives intact, we are the most fortunate of all. And, you know, sure, there's some people who somehow, I still don't know how they did it, who seem to have made lots of money from this. But uh, there are many people who just got crushed. And and Mm -hmm. my wife and I talk about that every day and how fortunate we feel. So 
um, to, and that's another part also of, of being creative and knowing how to cook and having those life skills is even when you're totally locked down, you know, we can turn some pretty basic ingredients into something that's life affirming. And during these last couple of years, life affirming has been a very important no <laughs> skill set. You, um, you just gave me a great seg- segue into your book. You've mentioned it already. And then talking about, you know, learning how to make food for yourself and create. I mean, this was, um, th- and you're talking about Flavor Bomb, right? This is your latest book here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a Rogue Guide to Making Everything Taste Better. Can you tell us a bit about the book and the awards that it was? Uh... Sure. Well, the award was uh, Taste Canada's uh, Best General Cookbook which amazed me because I was competing against chefs. And again, I just, the, the rock mm. manager who taught himself how to cook, yeah. but here's what the book is. The book is uh, originally was going to be a, some big bombastic recipes that would live up to the name flavor bomb, which was the, the genesis for the book was my wife said, you know, as we're eating dinner, you should make, you should do a book called flavor bomb. And then friends of ours once said to me, you know, how come things, just tastes better at your house than when we're making the same thing. <laughs> yep. um, and so the book was going to be a bunch of recipes and then a few ideas at the back of the book for how to, how like, you know, use a cast iron pan to get a crust or a this or a that, like how to make things better. And as I started to work on that addendum, that section, it just kept expanding and expanding naturally to the point where my editor, uh, suggested that that be the first half of the book as opposed to the last bit of the book. And so Flavor Bomb is really 80 pages of uh, tricks, tips, hacks, and techniques uh, on how to make everything better. Like even your go-to Tuesday night, whatever it is that you make on Tuesday night for yourself, if you read the first 80 pages of this book, you will learn how to make that taste better just with all these different tricks and things. And these are things that I've learned. I'm basically the medium who is. Um, I, I'm. I've observed all these things from the chefs I've worked with, from the street stalls I've looked at, from the competitions I've been in, and the people I've you know competed against. Thirty years of curiosity is funneled into this eighty pages. It's not stuff that I made up. It's stuff that I've gleaned that I'm sharing with my reader. And then the second half of the book the second 200 pages. So it's really more are these are these big bombastic recipes, but truthfully, what distinguishes this book is the first 80 pages. It is, it's like my own masterclass, but masterclass makes it sound too fancy. And again, it's really me as the medium bringing you all this information from all these chefs, winemakers, street stall vendors, catfish noodlers, everybody, every little thing I've learned, um, as a way of upping the ante on what you're, you're cooking. And, um, so that's what I'm the most proud of is that part of the book and that in unto itself is kind of a book. And that's what I was saying before. There's this generosity that you give in this book and what you do. And I'm not surprised that it won the taste award, uh, Canada's taste award for, for a book, because, you know, some of these books written by Michelin star chefs have no flexibility to them. This is the type of book you dive into and that is well-worn by the reader or the the home cook who's using it as a guide and learning tips and tricks from it, right? This is a much more useful tool 
from someone oh, like yourself you. who's gleaned all this information and, and not holding it close to your chest and sharing it with us. I think it's great. Well, I agree with you. that. I, you know, I got a, a cookbook once. It was Susser Lee's cookbook. And I got that cookbook from a friend because I love Susser Lee and they had heard me talking about him. But I love him and I respect him in a way because of his, this inaccessibility of his food to my simple brain. Like I can't, I can't imagine making that food. Then I got the cookbook and I was like, oh no, I was right. I actually can't make the food. It's not just my imagination. (laughs) And I was like, I wish they had just given me the money for this cookbook in a gift certificate to go eat. (laughs) Go eat eat a Singapore slaw. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, uh, and I think what Marco's, uh, getting at is that uh your book is the opposite of of that and i know like from my own experiences a few handful of things that i get those compliments that how come how come i hate lamb but every time i eat your lamb i really like it or how come what makes your guacamole different i usually usually like guacamole it's only i only got a few of those you know i got less than 10 but it it gives me, it fills me with so much joy. Oh, so to sure. have a lifetime sure. of that for you and to be able to put it in a cookbook, I can't imagine. I, I'm, I, well, um, listen, I've, I've been super lucky because for the last 30 years, I've had the good fortune of making my living being in the food world, which does not include working and cooking in a restaurant. So basically, I spend my life out there discovering all these really interesting things about food, discovering interesting foods, techniques and everything. And I see it as my full-time job to pass this information along. And I have the luxury of this being my job, uh, which allows me to dive as deeply into it as I dive into it. And then it's my job to take what I've learned and share it with my audience. And frankly, I don't care someone picks up something on the internet or if they buy my book or whatever, I really, as long as I can, you know, get through my life and pay my bills and drink the wine I like to drink. Mm -hmm. I I don't need to make, my pleasure doesn't come from making money from this information. My pleasure comes from helping other people elevate their quality of life with the things that because of how my work life has played out, that, that's my, again, in air quotes, my job to figure these things out and then to share it. And that's sort of what I see as my, my mission statement. So I'm, I'm, I'm touched. Well, no, it's not. I mean, it's, it's self-serving too, right? I have a great life. I love what I do. And I've been able to travel the world and dive deeply into these things. And I, I, I get tons of pleasure from that. So I'm super lucky. It's not, I don't think for a second that I'm doing anything no, I, I'll tell you what you're doing though, Bob, and 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 I know you you you're not you know too many compliments have come your way, uh, both in your lifetime and on this show. I think, but I think what I like, and and this is what Marco and I talk about often, it's this um this idea. You know, I used to teach cooking classes, and you know, you you'd have people who their parents had died, and. They had never once asked their mom or dad, how do you make this? How do you, they just sort of took it for granted. And sometimes you learn a little too late that once those people are gone, their recipes are also gone, dead yeah. and buried, never to be recreated in certain cases. And yeah. so my mind has always been like, who will save the recipes and yeah. share the recipes? Who will do that? And so from that perspective, 
I, I pay, you know, compliments to you because you're, you're doing something that I personally, and Marco as well, I can speak for, we consider that very, very important. Yeah. And I'll say this on our show notes, you'll find a link to, uh, Bob's book, Flavor Bomb. That was, uh, Random House put that out, correct? If I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, it's app. Yes. Uh, Appetite is the actual imprint. They're a small Canadian cookbook imprint and they're through, they're distributed through, uh, Random I just want to give a shout out to them. So I will put a link on our show notes to Flavor Bomb, a rogue guide to making everything t- taste better. And both myself and Ali recommend you pick up this book because I think it's an essential in your kitchen. You can put all those other highbrow books that you never mm-hmm. cook any recipes from aside and let them coll- continue to collect dust. But this one sure won't. Bob, uh, thank you very much for your time. We appreciated it. And um as I, as I explained to people, the journey of Bob Bloomer, I think we've just scratched the surface <laughs> of it. Um, those stories that you, that you put up on your website, um, I'm really happy you did. I'm really happy you did so that nobody for one second thinks that someone can be an overnight success. Yeah. The amount of persistence and determination and, 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 and skill at some level, but also just sometimes, you know, that, uh, that chutzpah. Uh, yeah, it's, well, uh, it's I, all chronicled there. I, I'm a poster child for the uh, the cliche that the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah, right. right Listen, there. Bob. Even though you you broke my darkened olive heart <laughs> on today's episode, anytime you want to come back <laughs> and be a guest, we will, and if you have something coming out, we'll be glad to have you on the podcast. Uh, uh, it's very it's very kind of you. His juicy queen olive heart is now a darkened, dried Moroccan black olive and uh, I couldn't be happier thank you for that you've done a great service to the world in that regard as well Bob that you'll never fully appreciate Okay, (laughs) humbling Marco is not easy my friend well that is it for our podcast today our thanks to our guest Bob Bloomer I'm Ali Hassan I'm Marco Timpano until we eat again